down into your presence and, and we spend time in your word, we, we look at where we're at in our world today, we look at where we're at here in Stockton today, we look at even those things that, we, that have happened even today, and we, we just come before you saying, God, we need you. We need your presence. We need your peace. We need the comfort that only you can give in all of our lives. Our country needs it. Our city needs it. Father, it is incomprehensible that in one week we would see a passenger airliner shut down, shot down. And then even here in Stockton, we would see three precious ladies taken at gunpoint, all of them wounded, one of them killed, for no particular reason. And Father, we try to make sense of that, and there's just no sense. We try to find some way to get around that, and there's just no way to even wrap our minds around it. But meanwhile... We know that you have not lost control. You are still God. You still have a plan. And you're going to work that plan out. We pray for so many families that have been affected this past week. We pray for governments that have to make decisions. We pray for police here in Stockton. We pray for families that are forever changed. And Father, we pray that all of that, ultimately, your name would be glorified. Jesus Christ would be lifted high. And that we'll be able to rejoice, not in what happens, but in who you are. Father, we pray that you have received our worship and song. And now we pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word. We pray that your spirit would move and work, that he would bring comfort and hope and peace, but also enlightenment. And Father, we pray for what you're going to speak today. We pray against Satan, who would not want us to hear any of it, that he would want us to not believe a word of it. Pray that he would have no voice here today, whether it be right now or even tonight. Father, we'll give you glory and praise for all you're going to do. For we pray these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. We are entering into the last chapter of the book of James as we are looking at vintage Christianity. Uh, learning some lessons from this ancient text. I've, I've told you that it was very likely the oldest New Testament text that we have, um, written by James, and uh, not the Apostle James. This is the James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And and so we're, we're coming into chapter 5, so we're going to be there today, and then we'll be there next Sunday and, and finish out the book of James at that point. But today we're talking about the fact that it's a marathon. That it's a marathon. James chapter 5, the first 12 verses of chapter 5. It's a marathon. 
And, and so we really have to answer our question, what's, what's a marathon? And James is going to tell us that it is, that it is really about the Christian walk. Um, I, I had a, one of those bucket list types of things to do. Uh, before I was 50 years old, before I even knew what a bucket list was, but but it was to run a marathon, a full marathon, 26.2 miles. Um, I just kind of always had that in the back of my mind that I wanted to do that, and I was 49 years old and was not running at all at that point. And I I had run a lot over the years, but at that point I had not been running at all and was was way out of shape and overweight from where I should have been. And so I, I told that to a group of men uh, at my church at a Bible study on Saturday morning. And, and uh, one of the men who was more out of shape than me said, Well, Pastor, I'll run with you. I'll do that. And so we set a goal. And, and a year later, we ran um, the Rock and Roll Marathon, all 26.2 miles of it. And, um, and it's an interesting thing. When you run 26.2 miles, you use up all of the... All of the energy you have stored in your Bible, or in your body, your Bible, stored in your, your body is used up at some point. Uh, usually around mile 18 to 21, you're, you have nothing else to, to, to really put out. And, and so you hit a wall, and, and every marathon now it's a big deal. They put it at mile 21, they put a big, they put a big, a big thing, banner or something you run underneath that says the wall. And you think, oh, that's cute, until you run it. And then you realize, man, that really is a wall. That, that hurts at that point. It really, really hurts. And for me, on that first marathon, it happened at mile 18, about mile 18 and a half. And I remember exactly where I was. I was crossing over the inter- Interstate 5 at Mission Bay, going over to Mission Bay Park. And, uh, and all of a sudden, man, I got, I got a pain going up through my leg like you know, I would never had before running. And, and it just kind of went all through my body, and I thought... Oh, I don't think I can go on at all. And, and, it, and it, it really is about endurance. It's about perseverance at that point. And, and it, it just really hurts. Um, interesting thing, um, you, you, you have to run a marathon at a pace. You have to pace yourself to run a marathon. They have pacers, if you will. Um, if, you're a, if you're an elite runner, they have pacers, the rabbits, who are out running very fast to keep those fast guys running fast. So they don't slow down. Uh, for the rest of us, they have pacers, and you can you can join a pace group, uh, and you'll have somebody carrying a thing that says like maybe four fifteen. That means that you're going to run it in four hours and fifteen minutes. And and because what you're going to want to do when you start running, you're going to think, man, I got to run fast, and you're going to put out all kinds of energy in the first two miles, and then you're going to realize, man, I still got twenty four point two miles to go. And I'm running way faster than I ever have before. And so that pacer is there, and you can stay with them. And if you get going too fast, they whack you in the head. No, they don't do that. But they could, I guess, use that sign and say, hey, slow down. But it keeps you from, from overextending yourself too early in the race so that you can get to the end of it. Um, one pastor, one of the one of the one of the one of those key pastors in in our in our country uh, right now uh, said that. Um, that 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 on his deathbed, one of the last things he would say to those who are Christians and especially church leaders is to pace yourself for the long haul, um, because it's something that that believers really start to understand they, um, that that God intends for us. 
endure from the beginning to the end. From the moment we trust Christ to be our Savior until the moment He takes us home. He intends for us to endure. He intends for us to get through um, that entire marathon. This is how Paul said it near the end of, of his ministry. Uh, he wrote this. He said in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And in the beginning of this book, the book of James, James says uh, something about the crown as well. He says in James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, with all that in mind, I want you to understand the truth, that the, the principle that James is talking about here in this opening part of chapter 5. He is talking about living out or practicing the principle of endurance, that we are called to endure. And we have to live that out. It's not that we live out. That, you, that from the moment you're saved till the moment you go home to be with the Lord, that you live out endurance. That, that that's who we're called to be. That simply means that you stick with it and you never give up. That you, you, there are times when it's going to feel really good and you're going to want to just run like a, like a rabbit. There are other times when it's going to hurt like everything and you're thinking, I just don't know if I can put one more foot in front of the other in this Christian walk, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to stick with it um, because that's what I'm called to do. I'm sure if you've been saved any amount of time, and most of you have been, and you've been in churches enough to know that there are Christians that that fall way short of enduring. Uh, we all know Christians who have who have who have given up on the Christian life in one way or another. Some completely abandon the faith because it just gets too hard, or life gets too hard for them somehow. Uh, we have others that, that that give up on dreams of of achieving some kind of of ministry that they've really wanted to be a part of or to do, and they just finally say, I'm just not going to do that ever. Um, it just is too hard to get there. Um, and there are others who just kind of settle into a lazy, you know, uh, easy chair kind of Christianity, and they just kind of they just kind of bow out and they say, don't bother me. You know, I'll show up occasionally at church and that's good enough. That's all I'm ever going to do from now on. And so they just they just bow out and, and the endurance is not there and the perseverance is not there. And that's not what Paul was talking about. And that's certainly not what James is talking about. They're talking about seeing it through to the end. The key verse here in, in chapter 1 that we want to look at is verse 11 where James says, As you know, we consider blessed... Those who have what? Persevered. We consider blessed those who have persevered. Those who have gone to the end. Who have stayed the test of time. And who have not given up. Um, have you noticed how much respect Billy Graham has these days? He didn't always have that with the media. He didn't always have that. But he has that today in his 90s. Why does he have that of respect because he has endured. He has made mistakes. He acknowledges those even in his own autobiography. He says, boy, there's things that I've done that if I could go back and do them differently, I certainly would. But in the long haul, he has never quit. He has never given up. And and I can't tell you how many times 
he has said over the last decade and a half or two decades, this is going to be my last this is the last time I'm going to do a crusade. This is the last time I'm going to do a citywide crusade. And and for 20 years, he kept doing them again and again anyway. He just he just said, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to I'm going to keep on keeping on. And and God wants that for you in your Christian life. He wants you to endure to the very end, whenever that end is, because those who endure are what they are blessed. I don't know about you, but I like to be blessed. I want to be blessed by God. I want to endure to the end. So today we're going to look at these first 12 verses in in chapter uh, 5 of James uh, where he shows us three things. They're going to help us to live out that principle of endurance. So three things that you need to live out the principle of endurance in your life. And the first is that you need to have the right attitude toward money. Wow, where did that come from? We're talking about endurance and you're talking about money? Really, Pastor? This is a money sermon? Well, a third of it is because James made it that way. I didn't write the book of James. He did. God put it in the Bible. So so I guess we just got to have to live with it. And so he says you have to have the right attitude toward money. If you're going to endure to the end, you gotta, you got to get this thing about money the way God wants you to have it. So he begins chapter 5, James does, with, with uh, what today we might call a rant. All right, he's, he's, he's blasting a certain group of people. He's blasting rich people. Listen to verses 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people, keep and well because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Well, this is sounding really uplifting, isn't it? You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you've... Wages you failed to pay, the, the workmen who moved, or excuse me, who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. And those are some harsh words, aren't they? And in fact, they probably didn't apply to hardly anybody that James was writing to, if anybody at all, because these were very poor, persecuted believers. They were losing everything. They weren't getting rich at this point in history. They were losing their jobs. They were being, they were being uh, tormented and, and, and they were being killed in the Colosseum at Rome. This was not a good time to be alive and be a Christian in terms of, of long life. And yet... James writes about that. Why? Not so much because it it would apply to all the people he was writing to, but through the Holy Spirit, there was an understanding, I think, that it was going to apply to a lot of generations down the road, including our generation. Um, And we need to pay attention to it. Uh, Verse 5 says, again, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. Does that sound like anybody you might know? Have you ever met somebody like that? You work with somebody like that? You live next door to somebody like that? 
You live in the same house with anybody like that? Um, you know, does you look in the mirror and you see somebody like that maybe? Uh, you know, their, their eyes are constantly on the next accusation. accusation. Um, they're, you know, as soon as they get the new car, they're, they're thinking about the new home entertainment system and then it's a new swimming pool or it's the vacation or the boat. And, and on and on and on and on it just goes. And so so there's this, this, this never-ending quest for more or, or to, to get what we can get. And James is coming back to something that he mentioned uh, earlier in chapter 4. He said, if your aim is to enjoy the world, then you can't be a friend of God. And he said a lot has to do with how you look at money and the attitude that you're going to have toward the money that you're going to earn and that you're going to get. Um, he's talking about he's talking about enjoying the world, the things of the world, the wants and the desires, ambitions of the world. Uh, we talked about that in Bible study this morning. For those who were in Bible study, as we looked at First Peter, Peter talked about very much the same thing, and he said, you, "You can't you can't be in love with the world. You can't be a part of the world and live a lifestyle of holiness. Holiness says that we look differently at the stuff and the things of the world, uh, and the attitude of the world can be summed up with it's about me." And remember last. Last week, in the end of James chapter 4, he's telling us, no, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about somebody else. And now he comes back to this idea. He says, the world will tell you that it's about you, but it's not. You can't buy into that mindset. Um, this hypothetical rich person that he's ranting about and describing in these six verses uh, has that kind of attitude. He doesn't care who he steps on to get what he wants. He doesn't care who he hurts. He doesn't care uh, what what it does to anybody's family or whatever it might be because it, the important thing is that he become and that he stays wealthy uh, in by the world standards. That's that's all he's looking for. And... and James says, don't be that person. Don't be that person in your life. Instead, he says, if God has blessed you financially, you have an obligation to be generous to the poor. And guess what? God has blessed each one of us in here financially. And and when I talk about rich people, a lot of us think about Gates or Forbes or, or someone like that. But or some kind of maybe a professional athlete who gets these these outrageous contracts. But the fact is, on a global scale, every one of us in here is rich beyond compare. We have so much more than most of the world has. Fact is, if you have a refrigerator for your food, anybody anybody have a refrigerator at home? You don't want to admit to it now, do you? If you have a refrigerator to put your food in, to keep it cold, or to freeze some ice cubes, whatever it might be, or if you have a closet to put your clothes in, or if you have a bed to lay down on, or if you have a roof over your head, you know that you're richer than 75% of the world already. And how many of you like the internet? How many think you couldn't live without the internet anymore? Have internet access? You're richer than 97% of the world who can't live with it 
because they can't afford it. They can't get it. God has blessed us financially. There's no getting around that. And we don't have to feel guilty about that. But we do have to take responsibility for what he's done in our lives, for what he's given us. And so James says, for everyone to whom much is given, or excuse me, James, Jesus said, for, for to everyone whom much is given, from him much will be required. God gives us a lot, Jesus said. And if he does, then there's a requirement. And we need to take responsibility for that requirement. Part of the responsibility is that we have a right attitude about what we've been given. That we have a right attitude about the money. So let me tell you, it's very simple. It's not a hard thing to figure out what a right attitude about money is. It's just, it's just two little sentences, and you can write these in, in your sermon notes there. First of all, don't go about getting, getting it in a way that takes advantage of others. If you need money, don't do what happened on Wednesday afternoon here. I don't think anybody in this room would say, well, that was a right thing to do because they just needed money. That'd be hogwash, wouldn't it? But there's a lot of ways that you can go about getting money by wrong means that aren't quite as overtly illegal. Make sure that the money you're earning, the money you're getting it, that you're getting it the right way, and and it's not taking advantage of others while you're getting it. And then secondly... Don't spend it all on yourself. Get it the right way and don't keep it all. Get it the right way and spend it on other some of it on other people. Don't spend it all on yourself. You probably know people who are business people who will tell you that 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 they can't wear their choir robe in the office, you ever hear that phrase, I can't wear my choir robe in the office? That means, that's a way of saying, I can come here and I can put on my Christian mantle, I can put on a choir robe, I can stand up front, I can sing, I can come and worship, but don't expect me to live out those same principles that I, that I sing about or that I, that I preach about or that I talk about on Sundays, on Monday at the office because I'm not going to do it. That won't work for me. That's somebody who's saying, I bought into the world system. And so I have to be two different people. I have to be, I have to be one person at work and I have to be another person at church. And I'm comfortable with that. But it's not what James is saying. James is saying if you're doing that, you're living in sin. That it's a sin and you don't need to do that. Uh, and so... Um, in your job, you may have an opportunity to, to pull a fast one from time to time, to cut a few corners, to get a few extra dollars, but it's not worth it, James would say. Don't get your money that way. Uh, and then don't spend it all on yourself. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of, two or three Sundays ago at the door on the way out, um, everybody is going that direction, and I looked up, and there's, there's, there's somebody coming the other direction, and she's not very tall. She's about this tall, and, and she's looking up at me, and, and she has a $10 bill in her hand. And it was little Jennifer Molina, Pastor Carlos's oldest daughter, and, and she, said, she looked up at me, and I said, Hi, Jennifer, and she said, she said Pastor Terrell, this is for the offering. And, and I thought, 
that's good. I thought you were going to give me $10. I like that plan too, but okay, we'll, we'll go with the offering part of it. That'll work as well, I suppose. And, and I knew, you know, probably what she was talking about. I said, you mean the vacation Bible school offering? And she said, yes. And the said her mom was standing just a little ways away from her. And she said, well, tell Pastor Terrell why. Where did it come from? And she said, it was, it was my birthday last week. And Lisette told me, she said, her grandmother had asked Jennifer what she wanted for her birthday. And she said, I want a $10 bill. I want $10. And he said, well, okay, but why do you want $10? And she said, because I want to give it to the missionaries. She could ask for anything she wanted. And what she wanted was some money that she wasn't going to spend on herself. And James will tell you the same thing. Get your money the right way and then don't spend it all on yourself. C.S. Lewis, one of the great men of faith, said it this way said I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare in other words if your expenditure on comforts luxuries amusements etc is up to the standard common among those with whom uh, are with the same income as our own we are probably giving away too little if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. When's the last time you thought, yeah, I'd like to do that? Or I might like to buy that. Even for my family, it might be a good thing. But I can't. I can't because I've made a choice. I'm not going to spend it all on me. Some of it, I'm going to give to others. I'm going to spend it on others. That means I don't have it to spend. can't spend it on me now. When you have the right attitude toward money, greed and selfishness can't get in your way. And when greed and selfishness can't get in your way, you can endure. You can get to the end because you haven't given in to the world at that point. So if you're going to get through to the end, if you're going to endure to the end, you have to have the right attitude about money. And secondly, you've got to be willing to wait. You've got to be willing to wait. And we don't live in a we don't live in a culture that likes to wait. Um, we have a we have a culture that that wants everything right now right when we need it. Some of you know that, that there are t- at times that, that I will fast, and, and that's not unusual. A lot of people fast. And even when I came to be your pastor, I had already made a determination uh, several months earlier that I was going to fast for a long period of time, for 40 days. And, um, and so I, was, I, I started that fast a couple of weeks after I came here four years ago. And... 
And I can remember, you know, people would, they would, I, I remember even going to a restaurant and after church one Sunday with a bunch of people from church and, and having a glass of water while everybody was eating. And, and somebody looked at me and said, don't, don't you smell that? It's Mexican food, my favorite types of foods. Don't, don't you smell that? Wouldn't you love to be eating it? And, you know, and how can you just sit there drinking water? And I said, because I understand that, that there will be other days to come to this restaurant and eat. The fast doesn't last forever. But what I am doing has an immediate impact on my life. And so I'm, I'm taking care of that. And I'm willing to wait to come to a restaurant to eat. I'm willing to come in and just drink water for right now. And we need to keep in mind that, that, that every good thing we want, our desire, um, is, is not that they're bad. It's just it's never a matter of not having it all. It's just a matter of, of not having it right now a lot of times. Where we say, you know what, right now it's not for me. Right now it's not money I'm going to spend. Not, right now it's not what I'm going to do. And I'm willing to adjust to God's timing. In James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, James says, Be patient. And most of us would like to cut that word out of our Bibles, wouldn't we? We don't really like the word patient. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The world is... And by the world, I mean this world system, this world system of it's all about me, and i got to have it, and i got to have it now. That's not all there is. And that's why you need to have the right attitude toward money. And, and when you're thinking about money all the time, that causes you to focus only on the here and now. i got to have it. i got to have the money because i got to buy something so that I can go do something. And, and I can't wait because my vacation's coming up or because my kid is a certain age or whatever it is and I just cannot wait. And, and i got to have it now. And so I pull out the credit card or whatever it might be and I go ahead and get it when I don't even have the money for it anymore. And James says, you can't buy into the world system. That attitude, it causes you to focus on that here and now, and it causes you to see time as limited and life as short, and, and it causes you to say, I have to have everything I want, and I have to have it right now. But if you are a believer, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then, then you're going to have every good thing you've ever wanted, and you're going to have it for all of eternity. You don't have to have it right now. It doesn't end because your life ends. It goes on into eternity. And that's why we wait for the Lord's return. He says, Jesus will come back for us. John 14, remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, I will come back and take you to be with me that that you also may be where I am. He said, I... I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And it's going to be so much better than anything you could have here on earth. And so Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He said, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. There are good things that are waiting for us beyond our imagination to be able to comprehend. 
And when Jesus returns to the world, things are going to be made right. And the Bible says in Revelation 21, 4, He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. There are good things in store for us who wait. Who wait patiently, and yet stand firm and endure. Like the farmer who waits for the land to yield his crops, he said. You just wait patiently and you stand firm. And he says, and you could write this in, the key to endurance here is patience. Patience and endurance walk hand in hand. And the key to patience, to, well, how do I get patience then? Is being able to see what's at the end. The key to patience is being able to see What's at the end? Not a grave, not a tombstone, not a family that's mourning. What's at the end is Jesus Christ. What's at the end is an eternity with Him. What's at the end is eternal worship and praise of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's at the end is every good thing that God ever wanted you to have. And it will never tarnish. And it will never go away. And it's already yours. For those who wait. Who are patient. Who say, I look not at this life, but at the next. Paul said, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So you've got to be willing to wait. You've got to be willing to have less now so that you can have it all later. You've got you to know how to develop that kind of patience. You look ahead. You look at what God has planned for you. And the struggles that are going on, you realize they're just temporary. That pain that you're going through right now, it hurts, but it's not going to last for eternity. And so you push on anyway. And, and if they last the rest of your natural life, even that's temporary. And so you still say, God, I'm still going to endure. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to look ahead. And the truth is that most of our struggles are temporary even in this life. James gives us the example of, of Job in verse 11. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And you know the story of, James, of Job. We don't have to go through that, but he lost everything. And then God gave everything back to him, plus. And, and, and so God can take it away and he can give it back. And so Job was an example of that kind of perseverance. And, and, and God gives us blessings here and now. And he gives us all kinds of joy. And he gives us peace. And he gives us, he gives us, he gives us a, an abundance of, of happiness. But we need to be patient and firm so that you can receive all that he has for you down the line. Um, uh, someone has said that endurance is patience concentrated. When I endure, it's where God has just said, "All right, I'm going to give you a lot to. I'm going to give you a lot to be patient about, and and let's see you put it into action." And so, you have to be willing to have the right attitude toward money. You're going to need to be willing to wait. And then, thirdly, you got to. You're going to need to take charge of your tongue. 
You need to take charge of your tongue. I guess it should not be a surprise that James is going to come back to our mouths again, to the sins of the mouth, um, and how important it is that that uh, our speech would be listed, listed again. Uh, he's hit this subject pretty hard in the previous chapters. He dealt with it in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. He dealt with it again in chapter 3, verse 2. If anyone... Never is never at fault in what he says. He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. And then last chapter, chapter 4, verse 11, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And now in today's text, he comes back to it again. And here in verse 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. When things are difficult, What's the most common reaction that we have? We start complaining and we start placing blame, don't we? When things are tough and we don't want to endure, when things are tough and the patience is just, is just almost more than we can bear, then we start to complain and we start pointing fingers at whose fault it must be and we start looking for ways to explain our problems and the fault of someone else. And, and so we have to be very careful about that. James says several times throughout this book that it's not our job to criticize judge or slander our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not our job at all. And if you start criticizing others and complaining about what they do, you know what happens? You start to lose focus on what you're supposed to do because you're looking at the wrong place and your attention is diverted to the wrong area. And and when you lose focus, then 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 grumbling and complaining uh, get you there. And Grumbling, complaining, never contribute to endurance. It just doesn't happen. When you start hearing somebody, when you're running a marathon and they're up around mile 18 or 19, and you start hearing them complain and criticize and, and grumble, you can, you can almost count on it that at the next water stop or the next medical tent, they're going to stop. They're not going to finish. They're going to they're going to quit at that point. And so you have to be careful. And, and friends, got to remember, and you just got to realize that grumbling is a poison to a local church. It is just poison to it. Uh, it doesn't matter what the church is. It doesn't matter the size of the church. Grumbling is a poison, and we just we just cannot give ourselves the liberty to get involved with it. Um, Don't complain, he says. Don't grumble. Um, One theologian said, worse than the sin you criticize is the sin of criticism. So just don't do it. It's not worth it. Verse 12, James also wrote, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or you will be condemned. You realize he's repeating the very words of Jesus. Matthew five thirty three to thirty seven. Jesus said again, "You have heard it, 
that it was said that people long ago, uh, to long ago, um, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is, foot, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply yet your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The word swear here does not mean using profanity. You don't need to do that either. But he's referring to taking an oath. Because we live in a fallen world where people often lie to each other. And, and we come up with all kinds of unique ways to get around that. Uh, and, and promises to force people to keep their word. How many of you remember when you are a kid uh, saying something like... Um, uh, making, you were making an, an oath. You were saying, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You ever said that when you are a kid? That meant, yeah, I'm pretty serious about it. You know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a thousand needles in my eye. Sometimes you used to say. That is, unless they had their fingers crossed, right? And that negates it. It's okay then. I lied to you and it's all right. Because you should have seen that my fingers are crossed. Jesus said, just if you're going to do something and you say you're going to do it, do it. If you're not going to do it, say you're not going to do it and don't do it. Just let your, let your yes be yes or your no be no. You don't have to have all these elaborate schemes. The Jews had all these elaborate schemes of, 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 of trying to make things okay, that, that they meant what they were going to say. And Jesus came along and said, just do what you say you're going to do. It's that simple. It really is. And, um, and so he's, he's saying that you've got to be the master of your vocabulary. You avoid criticizing and grumbling against others. Yeah, and you avoid making promises that you can't keep. And you take control of your words. And you're going to have the power to endure. Because the Christian life, friends, is a journey. It's a marathon, and God wants to see you through to the very end. He wants you to endure. James used Job as an example uh, for someone who goes through hard times, but he didn't give up, and he persevered. And that's what he's talking about. James 42.12, I'm not James, Job 42.12 ends that story, and it says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. God is full of compassion. And he's full of mercy. And he's waiting to bless you the same way. And so just hang in there. Just hang in. If you, you want to develop endurance, then you've got to have the right attitude toward money. And you've got to, you've got to be willing to wait on, on God's blessings. And you've got to look at what's ahead, not in this life, but for eternity. And then you've got to take charge of your tongue. And when you do, you find the strength that you need to produce the patience that endures. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your grace that gets us through the toughest times of life. And Father, even today, we are so tempted with what the world offers. We get bombarded by it. 
through the television, through radio, through newspapers and magazines, through friends, through billboards. It just hits us everywhere we go, everywhere we turn. It's so easy to take a short-term look rather than looking in the distance. So God, we thank you that we have an alternative. don't have to be slaves to this world to the mindset of this world that would take us away from what you want us to do so father speak to our hearts even in these moments that we have we pray these things in Christ's name this morning while we sit here God speaking to your heart and we continue to play God may speak to you and say Maybe you haven't endured. Maybe your patience is lacking. Are you willing to let him talk to you about that?